everyone. I am Ricardo Deacon. Hello, everyone. I am Orla Martinez. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This is the Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns every two weeks to pick a movie that the other person hasn't seen. We watch it separately and then Skype each other to discuss the picture. This week's film was chosen by Orla McNeilis. Surprisingly. It is Pain and Gain. I watch a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. No, Pain and Glory, Jesus. What's here? Tengo que hablar contigo. 32 años me ha costado reconciliarme con esta película. Si no escribes ni ruedas, ¿qué vas a hacer? Vivir, supongo. A film director reflects on the choices he's made in life as the past and present come crashing down around him. It's like, what? Dramatic. It's like, how can the past crash around you? Surely the present can because we're experiencing that right now. But... <laughs> and how been? That feels like for a sustained amount of time, suspended in a swimming pool of death. <laughs> yes. So uh, the movie was directed by Pedro Almodovar, produced by Agustin Almodovar, Esther Garcia, Ricardo Marco Boudet, Ignacio Salazar Simpson. Written by Pedro Almodovar, starring Antonia Banderas. Asiar Ekthania, Lornado Esbagralia, Nora Navas, Julieta Serrano y Penelope Cruz. Music by Alberto Iglesias. Cinematography by José Luis Alcaine. Edited by Teresa Font. And uh, yeah, that's the, the, the production companies and everything. Boom, boom, boom. Orla, um, why did you pick this movie? Uh, yeah, why would Orla pick an Almodovar movie? Oh my God. Um, I feel about him I think much like how Salvador feels about Alberto in this movie um, he wronged me in the past but maybe life is too short to hold grudges and it's time to be friends again come into my arms Pedro um, as usual uh, I love seeking out negative reviews of our picks because like, you know, you can go on to Amazon or Letterboxd or whatever and, you know, there's all, or IMDb and there's always like some like choice, choice ones from the, the general public. But I find the best ones are often by particular snooty critics, uh, one being Richard Brody from The New Yorker. Who... I, 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 I haven't seen that, sorry for the interruption, but I'm mm-hmm. just going to try to guess that at least one review that you saw said a lot of pain, no glory or something like that. <laughs> Uh, sadly not, um, which is <laughs> such a messed opportunity, uh, but no, um, the soulless ghoul that is Richard Brody in the New Yorker said, <laughs> the movie's expressive moments, and there are many, are largely uprooted, decontextualized, and dematerialized. It's quite a beautiful piece that he managed to write, um, if incredibly misguided. I do think that that's a great encapsulation encapsulation uh of complete opposite of what i think of this movie like i, I do um, think that sometimes like movie reviewers like especially like somebody like roger ebert that was an amazing writer by himself that sometimes i'll be reading one of his reviews and go whoa this is like such good writing but completely wrong <laughs> yeah but like when you're a good writer you're a good writer so it doesn't matter it's kind of like um how um What's uh, the restaurant critic in uh, Jay Rayner in The Observer, um, which is fantastic. Shout out to my dad, who's a big fan of him. Um, and even whenever, like, his his reviews are always good. Even whenever they're, like, of a restaurant that he hated when they're really funny or a restaurant that he, he really liked. Because he's just a good writer and he loves food. So they're always enjoyable. Um, kind of like I'd say Mark Remote as well. But it's always fun to, like, the rants. But it's also fun to, like, have him just gush about something that he loves. And he did really love this movie. Um yeah like just having a quick look at the general reviews and what people said at the time uh, like the words rich and bittersweet um come to mind uh when you're describing this film but i think as well definitely a really strong sense of melancholy and like for me it it resonates so strongly even though you know i'm at a completely different point in my life um which i think is kind of the you know we've talked a lot about melancholy films and that's sort of like the power of cinema being able to feel that that real poignancy of like time passing um 
But yeah, what's funny is the film I was, because we watched this last night, and the film I thought of most um, was actually A Single Man, the Tom Ford movie. But it's a similar kind of feeling. Obviously, that movie takes place over like 24 hours or whatever. And this movie is is taking place over a longer period of time. But it's also like quite condensed. You're condensed down to maybe like a month in time rather than like, you know, um, over like periods. But while also going backwards to his childhood and, you know, moving very fluidly between all these different time zones. Um, I also thought a lot about, um, weirdly, atonement. Because one of the things I love about that film is the the soundtrack and the haunting oboe sound of it and how there's something about oboe and like it is oboe, isn't it? Or is it clarinet? Well, like uh, uh, since you said that, uh, in my head I'll be forever confused by that scene in the in Amadeus when uh, fucking Salieri is describing a piece by Mozart. And he's like, and suddenly a nobo starts playing in the background this melancholy sound with the most like saddest phrasing until a clarinet takes it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. And I'm like, which sound is switched now? You know, I know that you love, like myself, you love um, films about filmmaking. And this is like less about sort of like the process of filmmaking itself, but also more more the kind of like emotional weight of, of filmmaking on the person who makes it and how you're drawing from all the things in your life and how you can feel even as like he's not... <laughs> Like he's not actually that old. He's not playing a character that's that old because he's, you know, uh, Antonio Banderas is obviously playing a version of um, Almodovar himself who, like, what, what age? He's in his, what, his 60s, which is not that old. Like, when you think of someone like Woody Allen or whoever, but I don't like to think of Woody Allen, but um, he was... The, <laughs> he I don't think name. Woody Allen likes to think about Woody Allen. <laughs> no, oh God, he needs to fuck off. I definitely want to talk later about um, late careers and the blossoming in, in later life and work and stuff and, and how it's a period of life where frequently people either discount it, sometimes with, you know, someone like Woody Allen where he probably should just stop making movies and um, or Goddard or whatever. But it is interesting of like people who are able to blossom later in life and then people who like fade or whatever. So I definitely want to talk about that. But um, there's something really kind of like cinema paradiso about this film as well and like the discovery of like in childhood of cinema and then the memories of going back and forward through different stages of your life but I feel like it's quite interesting how we're never shown the 80s like we're never shown the 80s it's only like told to us vividly through monologue and like discussion about the time and like you know the, the fact that there is a performance created through like it's it's so meta like it's in the, like, even like building up to the ending of which like he made the movie and like when you describe it it sounds so trite and like this is such wankery of like a filmmaker making a movie about filmmaking that's kind of also about his life about filmmaking you know it's like oh but somehow it works here so well because the film is so light and oh I just I absolutely loved it like the performances as well that we have to talk about I mean obviously Antonio Banderas is fantastic and this is sort of like a bit of a rebirth for him as well of people really realizing that he is actually a great actor which I think is interesting but um uh yeah like it's two hours I think but it doesn't feel like two hours I feel you know we we never linger like the, the what Richard Brody says about it feeling that we just flit in and out and that things, things have no weight I feel that the way he's able to move between time and emotion and everything is really, really well handled. And I, I, I just, I loved watching this again last night. Um, I was actually as well, because um, we've done, we did Julieta, which was the last one we did whenever Kira came on. Um, which I went back, I was listening to it. I don't think you really liked it too much. I kind of liked it, but I found it very inconsistent, which was the main thing I said, I think. Um, which I don't find here. I find this movie very, like, there's a real 
like flow within it of that feels like the flow of life um so <laughs> i loved it i really really did i put it on just on a whim and it was a fantastic experience and again last night so ricardo what did you think of pain and gain well uh first of all i have to say that it's like if there's one type of movie that is absolutely designed <laughs> to give me pleasure uh, like this movie pretty much draws from that checklist it is like melancholy movie about past and childhood and how that forms the present. Uh, put a bit of filmmaking into it, a good soundtrack, like uh, interesting characters, etc. And then uh, reflective filmmaking. I really like how like mirroring, mirroring. It doesn't even have to be a good one. I give uh, fucking <laughs> most upon a time in America a huge pass for all its flaws because it's like. Yeah, it's amazing. Say similarly to uh, Cinema Paradiso, the, I love it as a movie, and I think that it's like really interesting as a movie, particularly comparing the director's cut and the cinema release, mm. because they mean two completely different things, and the ending is completely different. I think that. This movie as a whole, I like I'm not gonna say that I disliked it. Uh I think probably considering how much how much I am built to enjoy this movie to begin with. No. That I should like it more than I do. Uh I think that it's for like a number of different things. And one of them I think that is interesting in a way that because I watched it yesterday. Um, we're recording today, so I haven't sat that much with the movie. I think that if we were recording later on, I'd like I'd say that the movie is better than I think it is because I really <laughs> like the ending. Like uh, coming uh-huh. back to the discussion from last time, because I think that the second half of the movie, like the all the issues that the second half of the movie has are the issues that it's carrying from the first half of the movie. But most that it does, even within those issues, it, like, it kind of rectifies a couple issues, but also it, the execution is far better. So even when there's like little things I disliked, the execution, because the execution is better, mm-hmm. uh, you... And also there's a lot of themes and... Uh, he has to come in very late into the movie. Like, it co- <laughs> how can I put it? Is that it, it starts with a theme and idea, but then it's completely forgotten about or not highlighted until later on in the movie. And I think that it kind of uh, works in itself because it's been planted, but not planted enough not to seem... Like, I see it again as a missed opportunity. I don't think that there's anything completely egregious with the movie. Uh, I'm just. You agree with Richard Brody, don't you? No, like I think I I give the movie uh, far more credit than he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I in, in general I really liked it. Uh, it's not that uh, I. <laughs> but. Tell me what you really think, Jesus. <laughs> no, like I I really liked it. Um, but I think more than anything is that there wasn't any moments considering the there is like one mo- two moments in the movie considering that it is a two hour movie uh, and there's a lot of moments is a movie prescribed at moments. Let's say there's two moments that I actually had a big emotional connection with, which were the the monologue. And when you realize that uh, the Marcelo is sitting in the audience. And you you realize the the dialogue that is happening between two people, but one of those people are not in the same room. And mm. I thought that that was incredible. That was like, like <laughs> chef's kiss, you know what I mean? And I also really liked Federico meeting Salvatore as well. Like I think that... It, I think that it's incredibly problematic that it's the same name as the character from Cinema Paradiso. So you can't make a movie that is that oh similar. Oh my god. I don't even cop that. That's... Like it's a little bit too much of the nose. Like, oh, you know what I mean? That's 
delicious. I love him though. He's just, he's like, he doesn't care. He's like, D could, could I, could I shove more color and, and references and then <laughs> meta content in this? Yes, I can. More, more. Stop I, the screen. I think that the, the biggest uh, issue with the movie, and in a way it's not like an issue exactly with the movie, let's say, as in like, that's what I mean that you can't really point at flaws. Uh, but I think that with the exception of those two moments, I was really more affected with the flashbacks uh, of him as a child than mm -hmm. the, what was happening in the present. And obviously, the my understanding and my emotional response to the flashbacks is colored by what's happening in the present. So you can't deny that the present is working at some level because otherwise the past wouldn't in those mm -hmm. two timelines but at the same time it's kind of uh, strange to considering that also most of the movie is not in flashback it's not like C cinema paradiso that if that was your issue it's not really an issue because 90 percent of the movie is the flashback well in this is like 80 to 90 percent of the movie is the 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 present so I wanted to go back to the childhood kind of thing. And I think that perhaps it'd be that uh, since it jumps such a big period, but I think is that it jumps a very formative period as well, because it goes to the moment that he has the desire kind of thing. And it jumps the 80s. But I think considering the character that he becomes and it's interesting in the sense of like, if the movie is predicated on finding memories that highlight what's happening in the present that is like there's mirrors and events kind of thing mm. um and i think that there's so much of the movie is about coincidences and luck and everything else but none of that is present in the past mm. and i think that it's kind of like all of that is predicated like even on the flashbacks the fake flashback that would have been like the the monologue that explains what happened in the 80s. None of those moments are talking about like chance encounters. And that's one of the things that I said that it's planted in the beginning because he by chance encounters the lady in the restaurant. And then that brings him to uh, meet Alberto and that keeps mm. going back. But then you forget about it because it's the very first scene and you're just gathering your, your, your bearings. And then it's suddenly like four or five coincidences happen at the same time, you know, like the the fact that he meets the guy that he by pure by chances in Madrid the day mm. like uh, it only becomes an issue because it happens again later on. And if it was mm. planted at something, it is kind of planted in the beginning, but it's not really planted the idea of like chance uh, because all the formative moments are not based in chance. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That like the, the monologue and everything in the past is not based in chance, but then everything that is happening in the present is based in chance. Because I really liked the movie, I'm just saying like that I think that it was a missed opportunity not to like highlight that idea throughout. Mm -hmm. So then also those moments wouldn't become as egregious as they can feel to somebody. I liked it. You know, it could have been dealt slightly better, you know, thing. Mm. and not and it's not an issue with those moments itself. It's just that it's not even where they are, is that the groundwork for those moments to have more of an emotional response or a more valued emotional response. It's like something that works, but it could have worked better, I feel, mm. especially better, not in the sense of a moment as it is but more as a moment in the context of the movie that it could have colored the what you've seen before with a better understanding of the character and the themes of the movie. But like, again, I really, I really did like the, the, the movie. I think that um, when it comes to like, I really like the um, Bandera's performance and I, again I liked how obvious they, they go on the 
self-portrait yeah like the hair and the the shirts and everything the oh the clothes and this fellow oh my god the clothes the like the the like the production design of every location is just like (laughs) his apartment despite being filled with very weird kind of like glass bong like vase things i don't really know what those were about but holy bejesus that apartment was just oh and like such a i feel like that was like his own apartment yeah (laughs) you know i felt so lived in it was all and it made me like um because it's like madrid and also um like it made me like long for Spain as well because like it's oh man it was so even like the little details of like his like uh the lift in the apartment and how it has that like European thing of having the door on the outside that you close before the doors close and stuff and like the flooring and like everything about it I could like smell the apartment you know what I mean it was oh it was so evocative like, the mm-hmm. tiled street uh, like oh. uh but, but like, like even the tiles in her and then like the cave house yeah. as well like the oh well like the the cave house also like gave me uh, like uh memories of uh, there is a hotel in uruguay that was hand built by an artist like it's mm-hmm. a five-star hotel there's a a painter called this is a complete digression but it's a interesting <laughs> uh interesting story because he used a, a similar technique of making like almost like paper mache, but to make things like look like rock. Oh. And because it's hand pressed and then whitewashed, it looks exactly like the interior of that cave. But obviously yeah. uh, it's designed by architects, etc. I'll send you pictures about it. It's an interesting location. That's but, cool. Uh, Pais Villarreal's son, like the painter's son, the guy that created that hotel. Yeah. He's like one of the, probably the richest and f- most famous Uruguayan painter. Uh, his son was in the the airplane that crashed in the Andes. Um, oh my God, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the thing is that Did one of my uncles was in that rugby team before. And so he uh, just missed out being in that plane. Hmm. And I played rugby with the with the son, like the youngest son of that painter, and I didn't no know. Way. Yeah, I didn't know that like he was his son. Like I went to to that hotel when because it was like a family member uh, visiting, and we went to the hotel because it's a really nice hotel. So we went to the restaurant in the swimming pool, and your mom was in the swimming pool, and I went like, "What are you doing here?" It's like I live here. And I was like, oh you God. live here? It's like, yeah, my dad built it. And I was like, what? And then was... That is that is a bunch of coincidences worthy of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I have to say also that like I, I couldn't stop laughing, uh, uh, which is pretty bad because I didn't know the like uh, the the slang for heroin in Spain is horse. So they keep talking. Oh, they were about, saying caballo. Yeah. yeah. So they keep going like, I couldn't stop. I had to stop using that horse. Like I used too much horse, and I'm like, lol. That is very funny. <laughs> well, like that. That brings us to like the only major issue that I have with the movie. And, the romanticization of heroin use. Oh yes, uh, that is a major issue, <laughs> and also the kind of accusation that pretty much like Federico was weak-willed and couldn't quit by himself <laughs> because he wasn't like he wasn't either strong enough like Alberto to microdose his entire life, or strong enough like fucking Salvador to be able to just quit for no reason and have no fucking like withdrawals or anything and also like it hints that it's actually like all right for him because like he's in so many using so many opiates that it's like oh it's working with he might as well just like use it you know <laughs> i love how casually the doctor's like he's like yeah well what what have you been using to medicate and he's like oh well i started using heroin and the doctor's like oh, i see you might have some withdrawal <laughs> it's like <laughs> no <laughs> it's very moorish like in a way, like uh, even when he's smoking the fucking thing, it's like, isn't he getting addicted to nicotine again as well? Because he's like smoking rollies. 
Well, like, but my point being is that, like, given the way that they don't only romanticized heroin use, but kind of say that is like, I, this is what I call the Noah Baumbach issue. Okay. <laughs> is that yes. my problem with, have you seen Marriage Story? Yes. My biggest problem with Marriage Story is that, like, it is a lot more Fuck fair-handed. Fuck these privileged white people. It's more fair-handed than, like, Kramer versus Kramer, let's say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the thing Between is... Between the two people. Yeah. Like the, the, and yeah. it tries to make, like, a good argument about, like, both that is the system that is fucked up, not the people. You know what I mean? But when mm-hmm. you see what are the basis of the flaws in the person, it's like... Scarlett Johansson's like fundamental issue where Zentire's problems come from, her original sin, if you will, mm-hmm. is that she's a child of privilege. So like all her problems kind of like originate in that, you know, the way that she can't clean, that she can't cook, that she takes things for granted, etc. And then Adam Driver's original sin is that he's a fucking Ego. genius. <laughs> and everybody keeps saying that he's a fucking genius go like you know he his problem is that he's too much of a genius and uh, that makes it harder for him to have relationships you know because he's a fucking genius i want a macarthur grant <gasps> charlie oh my god that's great congratulations <laughs> i'll say because you can't it's the genius grant you're a genius i fundamentally believe that if adam driver was not in that role we would hate that movie. oh yeah like yeah. like <laughs> he's so charismatic and also but also it's the it's the problem he gives depth that's not there like yeah but i think that th- this is similar to the issues in this movie is that like mm-hmm. anything that is like oh but like he doesn't really care about people and it's like yeah but he's a fucking genius it's the I think that it's not only like I call it the no one bomb back issue because it's in every single movie the no one bomb back it's like no one bomb back has made a career defending asshole-ish behavior as long as you're you're smart it's like as long as you're smart you can be a dick uh, you kind of ultimately like, it's worth it yeah, because you know we got the great works of art yeah. so I feel like we're coming back to that topic a lot over the last while which I f- find endlessly fascinating which is that you really don't have to be an asshole to make good shit I, like and I think that <laughs> Noah Baumbach lived the fictitious scene in the beginning of the social network. That somebody told him that he was a, a dickhead and he spent his entire career trying to excuse his dickhead behavior. You're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. It'll be because you're an asshole. I hope that Bobak is not listening to this. Uh, but it's not like, oh, no, but Noah, actually, I'm uh, not a dickhead. I am just a genius podcaster speaking my opinion. Um, I really don't like Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that it is something that is completely... Uh, completely isolated to Bombax movies and I don't think that is uh, only present here it's something that is very difficult to make the problematic artist and make him like he's both a genius and problematic and not Mm -hmm. excuse (laughs) his problems by oh but he's a fucking genius you know like um... I feel like it's much less it's less egregious in this movie it's, it's less egregious but at the same time, I think that it is uh, has to be noted. And also that the movie pretty much says that like all the suffering was worthwhile because of the works of art that we're watching right now. And then when the camera pans out, it's almost like almost over going like, oh, everybody suffered, but I got a career out of it. So it's fine, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, and it's not especially since it's completely autobiographical that there should be a little bit of atonement that like people he mm-hmm. walked Speaking over of. people yeah <laughs> exactly like that it's kind of that <laughs> i think that um uh, cinema paradiso is the 
one of the films that actually is able to straddle that mm. position kind of thing and they despite they, having a really weak central uh section but also i think that it straddles that because it shows that the flaws of the of the character were there when the kid he was a kid mm. that he was completely impulsive completely like uh uh, more entertained on having like the gratification of the moment than caring about other people, be it his mother or Alfredo or uh, or everybody else. So the problem with this movie is that the fucking kid is a saint when he's a kid, you know. Like and then it's like, what happened to him? It's like, you know, like and then everybody else gets blamed. It's like his mother was a little bit too religious. Uh, he was made an ignorant yeah. by the church. They make her very religious in the end. I feel yeah, like, which there's she... none of that in the I beginning. Like she's it's like was well, she's got her box and she's like, it has to be these rosaries, not these rosaries. You get to keep these rosaries. It's like, if you have classification systems for your rosaries, and, <laughs> like, and then kissing before you're going to bed, the picture of the saint, like, uh, and that is very, uh, like, Latin culture that I don't see it in Ireland, even though Ireland is completely Catholic as well, uh, that in Uruguay, people, like, pick a saint to pray to they're not praying to god oh no my nana would do that yeah yeah like i think it's just a generational thing here that we've kind of like obviously stopped praying um but no no like my like i think i think most of my grandparents would have had like a particular saint that they would pray to like padre pio is always a big one uh, my granny saint is a uh, saint expeditious <laughs> And what, what, what was he known for? Well, uh, about being uh, expeditious. <laughs> his crime was like, he's the same for being like what, the first centurion. His crime? Well, like, uh, because he was martyred for being, I think, the first uh, recorded centurion to convert to Catholicism. So oh. that's where the term expeditious comes from. And uh, he's the patron saint of quickie, uh, quickly resolved issues. <laughs> That's a great saint. <laughs> so like my grad is like, you have any issues? Oh, I, I hope it's quickly resolved by Saint Expeditious. <laughs> and it's and, adorable. And in Spanish is even uh, funnier because his name is Espedito. <laughs> so it's like, San Espedito. <laughs> Stay tuned for the Justin Bieber remix. And I do think that it's like the the excuse for her uh, religion at the end, I think that has kind of like a little precursor because she sees that she's close to death. And uh, mm. he mentions that whenever he uh, has more than one of his elements uh, hitting him, he believes in God ah, and yes. prays to him every night. And then when he only gets one, he's an atheist. Atheist. So like, oh, I love the voiceover. Oh, I, I think that the voiceover is amazing and the animation whenever they're like cutting it. Oh, out. it was so like, like Saul Bass or something. It was so fabulous and so vibrant. I loved it. And uh, I really liked also the uh, the use of photographs every so often to like highlight mm. things. Uh, but again, it's like there are moments in the movie that are very dynamic. Uh, and there are other movement moments that are like, for example, I think that it's slightly problematic and I think it's uh, problematic in every Almodovar movie because I feel sometimes, you know how I say that uh, sometimes you watch a scene in a movie and mm -hmm. you know that the guy that wrote it just as soon as he finished the scene, he leans back and goes, oh, that's a great scene. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That it's like, you can... I dare he be proud of his art no but usually those are the the scenes that stick out because are the ones that uh Cinema. people are trying like that you're trying to like jump in you know um mm. how can i put it like the scenes with the mom felt that way the way that the scenes in the theater and in the scenes with uh federico didn't they didn't mm. felt written, even though they were super written. Like one is a fucking monologue, but it felt 
honest kind of thing. Oh, the performance is so good. And it also like great because he's performing theater. because he's performing it the way that he's been told to perform by Salvador. So, so you're kind of like in different levels seeing what's happening and also seeing him that the scene starts with him rehearsing and it jumps to him being mm. in the scene like doing it. I think that was like amazing. And I think that like that is by far the, the most memorable and the best part about the movie uh like but for example like i spoke to dayan my friend dayan about the movie mm-hmm. today before we started recording to dayan. and he i was like how did you uh, like what did you think of the movie and he goes i honestly don't remember it at all and really? and i think that if you take those moments even though i watched it yesterday there are moments that i remember and considering that i have one of the few like um one of the few things that I have as a as a plus, like a, as a trait, is very good memory. So, one of the few things I have as a plus, man, what, what a put down. Hi, fuck one it. of my few good qualities. It's good memory, <laughs> and like I don't remember as much. Uh, as I think I should considering that I watched it yesterday and like the emotional impact that uh, the the movie would have let's say like mm. especially the, the the flashbacks I loved them but at the same time it made me want for more and maybe it's because so much of it remind me of the spirit of the beehive I think it's a missed opportunity that they don't show like the cinema experience of the kid because that is always so cinematic. And even though there's a moment that like whenever he's using like at the first time, whenever uh, he's showing it, how it would work as a monologue that he's describing going to the cinema and pissing the next to the screen and stuff that maybe is not the not that I'm missing that part per se, but there's, I, I, I don't know if it's like a budgetary reason or not, but if you compare two movies that are, I guess where the Beehive clearly deals with characters that are around the same age and dealing with similar mm. issues and love of cinema, etc. that there's like a sense of the past in that movie that this was lacking in a way. Um, because perhaps I don't know like I remembered also like uh, that Portuguese film that we watched uh, that was like somewhere uh, the summer uh, oh my beloved or beloved month of August yeah that 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 has such a specific kind of feeling feeling and idea of time etc and I think that the movie when it starts that they're like washing the clothes next to the oh, sea and uh, he's like looking at things in the perspective is that it would make more sense the way that they prevent presented the past that he would end up a writer not a filmmaker because there's no yeah. casual visual interaction with the world and I think that it's something that even like Martin Scorsese referred to that every time that he cross paths with somebody that is like a great filmmaker, that whenever they were kids, they under- they understood the world through visualization rather than textualization. And this mm. is the, the opposite kind of thing, you know, like it would make... They more... gloss over it, I guess, because he talks about how, you know, even whenever he's he's in the choir and, he, he, oh, I love the Beatles in cinema. Um, you get that great line about like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll steer you away from those pagan things. <laughs> but um, there's all these little passing references to it or, or through the animation where he talks about becoming a filmmaker, but there's no real in-depth exploration of it other than in like the idea of like voyeurism and watching the guy washing himself and of the the like the like of looking i suppose but yeah it's never really i don't know i didn't i didn't long for the scene of him actually in the cinema because i loved 
it being created in my mind through the description yeah of like it. Uh, as soon as i started saying it and then remembering how it was presented i agreed like i withdraw yeah. my comment <laughs> part of the issue that i have with Almodovar's older films more than his newer films that he didn't really engage visually as much if you withdraw take color out of it like the mm. cinematographer like he'd use more production design than cinematography to tell the story oh for sure yeah and i think that he's gotten i don't know if he's changed cinematographers or if he's like just approaching filmmaking this looks much better than julieta did yes there was a lot of really ropey scenes in that movie for sure oh yes i and this is like uh, i i think it's a well shot movie uh like in general like and i i can't complain about it and it has like really visual weird quirks that i like mm-hmm. uh and also like i i like movies that have like scenes that are not comp- absolutely not explained and they stick with you like the fucking knife fight when they're like in madrid where he goes to buy a cut <laughs> that is like so weird i love when he walks down he's just like um some heroin please um <laughs> one heroin please uh he also it's, there's like a weird uh, what I would call Sabrina sort of paradox um, where <laughs> he uh, <laughs> that's the uh, the TV show not the uh, movie um, where <laughs> he um, he's talking in his the animation about how the priests taught him nothing and made him into an ignoramus because um, he let him pass classes uh, because he was in the choir and it was like this angelic thing um, and yet like whenever then later on we have those flashbacks where he's like managing to completely teach a guy to read and write from scratch <laughs> i was like what which made me think of how uh and there's an entire episode dedicated to how bad a writer sabrina is in high school like tragically bad and then later on she becomes a journalist and then there's mm. the, the 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 fact that he starts teaching the the guy before he goes to high school so he didn't yeah. really need that catholic education let's say yeah and also like okay. even there there's no link with the mom because the mom is not trying to get him to be a priest is that is the only way to get like the education and then she becomes like a religious zealot afterwards yeah it's weird and i think that there's like people like uh, in my family that i i've known that in older age they've become far more religious than they were like in middle age but they were mm. part of really religious families when they were kids and it's almost like you know uh People start atoning for their sins when they start thinking the punishment is coming close. <laughs> um, I'll just I'll just adopt this in case. <laughs> yeah, the just in case the theory. Just in case Catholicism. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts now before we go to favorite things? Well, like uh, the in Cosmic general, I did like the movie, and I really liked the movie, even though it might not sound like I did. But it's classic Ricardo. It's classic one that is like ah uh, I. I wish I liked it more. I think that if it was a little bit more self-effacing, considering that it's autobiographical, uh, you know, if he, if he skewered himself a little bit more, because for sure, if I did something autobiographical, like the main character would fucking get it. And <laughs> also any movie that starts with the character that is a stand-in for the director and is in a Christ-like pose in the beginning i'm kind of like (laughs) i'm like oh i see somebody is a modest egg i don't think we were ever going to accuse almodovar of being modest (laughs) so ricardo what was your favorite thing Uh, my favorite thing is um for one i think that it's uh, uh interesting that uh his production company is called Desire, and the uh, mm, ending of the movie is the first Desire. So it's like hinting that this is the first idea that he had for a movie, but he never managed to figure yeah, out how to make it. Strangely enough, like I, my favorite thing is that the 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 last third of the movie, including the monologue and meeting in like mm. Federico and the moment of oh, uh, what I'll call the life of others mo- moment. That is like, would you like mm-hmm. it wrapped? No it's meant for me kind of thing you know like 
And also, it's like, I, I kind of laughed whenever the gallery owner goes, there's a cryptic message in the back that I don't know what it means. And it's like a big letter. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be like a hieroglyph or something. You know, like, it's fucking like 300 it's words. It's just a letter. <laughs> Within the, the, the last part of the movie, like, uh, um, I think that Alberto's performance is great. The guy that plays Alberto. Especially whenever yes. he's in the monologue, whatever. And it's kind of like it atones for how bad he is in the beginning. You know, like when you get like somebody that is meant to be an absolute, like they, they grab an actor that is meant to be a drug fiend. And you can tell that he's never done any drugs in his life. You know what I mean? Like, it's like. The art for as well. Like, so yeah, it's like somebody Googled, like, you know, like, <laughs> he's not. Heroin microdoser. But it, even like, like, he's the, like, heroin, a uh, heroin uh, user put through the Nickelodeon filter. Like, uh, you know, like, he looks like an extra problem. And also, like, the. His... His makeup is really bad yeah. as well. His like aging makeup. I was like, who did you get to do this? They spent all the money in making Antonio Banderas look like Almodovar. Yeah, like <laughs> the entire budget of the movie went on the hairspray. But uh, yeah. <laughs> the hair is fabulous. But I think so and the bowling ball, uh, the bowling shirts that he wears. Oh my god, the outfits! But I, I think also it's like the pro- problem of casting two guys that are meant to be the same age and they're clearly not. <laughs> and that is like, oh, like. Banderas can effortlessly, effortlessly have like this world weariness, while the guy Alberto, who's meant to be a drug fiend, is there like, ah, dude, you know, even how he speaks, he's like, man, are you like fucking Owen Wilson or something? But I, I like his transformation that like uh, at the end, like he becomes like really good performance. But I think he's slightly miscast in the beginning. Uh, yeah, uh, but he pulls it back. And I could tell, like, I think that they use the same makeup effect as they used in the lives of other, uh, not lives of others, in the um, uh, story in uh, the the truth in their eyes, the uh, the secret in their eyes, the Argentinian oh. movie. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. The makeup was really bad. Yeah, like at the end, whenever he goes back. Yeah. But at the same time, I they kind of get away with it because everybody is on the same shitty makeup <laughs> yeah and they all are actually similar ages so like it kind of like it's less jarring and like this is very jarring yeah like uh, i googled them i was like they're not what i suppose of all the things of the scenes involving alberto him looking a bit too young is the least problematic of them um <laughs> So like, uh, uh, what what's your favorite thing? Um, probably that same section within the film. Like, I do think that um, the monologue is is just spectacular, and it is the kind of thing that I would normally be a bit like, Nyeh. Nyeh. like normally whenever I see plays in movie in movies, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not in that audience. But like, that was one of the few examples where I was like, I wish I was in that audience watching because it was incredible. Um, but I also and linking it into that, that I, I would not pay any money for any of the fucking plays that Abdul Driver puts up in my own story. Yeah, like hell no. It's like Studio Sixty levels of like you know bad sketches. Um, and I would never watch that show. Uh, but I do just want to give a shout out to there is an orange jacket that Salvador wears at one point that is just fabulous and also the outfit that he wears and tragically doesn't go to that bloody screening and Q&A because he's wearing a like shirt blazer combination that is just spectacular and it's sad that no one except Alberto saw it Uh, also Alberto gets the great line when they're both looking into the mirror of like you don't know all the lengths I get to to borrow this jacket (laughs) I was like what does that mean (laughs) But um, yeah, no, the monologue is just, it's, oh God. And it's so well done, the transition from like practice to uh, to real performance. Um, and it does, it's it's all the things in the movie like working together. And it, it, it within that, like Antonio Banderas isn't even in the movie or in that section, like until 
um, Federico comes over and then we have that like wonderful little phone conversation the, the, the phone thing is great of like um, Alberta ringing him and then them having their little moment which I loved I loved I shipped that bromance big time and then you see the thing and it's an Argentinian number I was like oh, Federico also Federico hot um, also whenever they kiss hot so it's so heartbreaking yeah, all those that things. he can't stay over because like he'll break Antonio Banderas like, uh, like quite uh, yes like, I was very glad that he kicked him out I was like no 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 you cannot ride your past <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Uh, <laughs> let it go. <laughs> What's your least favorite thing? I think it's uh, uh, yeah, like I think it's definitely the heroin thing. Like, yeah. I think it's so completely unnecessary as well. Like, uh, I, I don't think it says anything about the like, like the heroin of the past, like Federico being an addict and everything. Like, I that's, get it, yeah, and I understand, and it's the eighties, and. Hit, like uh, but like like even if it was just fucking weed to make more sense you know like you know what I the mean the weed like, would make loads of sense like even for the character I think your man would be able to do the weed thing much better uh, and you still get the kind of like the like smoking thing or whatever but even like and also like, the it's... fact that it's like oh yeah the, the problem that he had with Alberto doing fucking drugs on set is that it was the <laughs> wrong drug. Yeah. And if you're gonna describe it as that weed is complete opposite of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think that's my least favorite thing as well. Um, and I just wonder he... as well because if everything is autobiographical. Which performance did Almodovar think it was shit in the original? Like, like changed his mind later on. I meant to look that up actually because I'm assuming that a lot of this is very taken from life, like not just kind of the the essence of it, but like direct things. So I meant to look it up because I'm assuming someone out there has like done a deep dive into what all the references are and stuff. Because I'd say it's even richer than we realize. Because um, it's been a while since I've it's really a, watched or thought about him. It's even richer than Brody. <laughs> so, uh, any final thoughts, Orla? Uh, I just had such a wonderful experience watching it again last night, and um, it's lovely. I I recommend people seek it out. Like, even if you're not a big fan of his, um, like it's a fun movie to watch, even if you have no context for Almodovar, because I watched it with John, and he's never seen. I don't think he's seen any of his films. And he really, he loved the vibrancy of it. And like, the, the, there's a lot of humor in the film as well. Like, it's very, like, it's light and airy and um, while also feeling like a real poignancy. So, uh, seek it out. Yes. Uh, and you can seek us out on which places? Um, Facebook, uh, it's The Recommendation Game. Twitter, at The Rec Game. Uh, the fucking Gmail account is uh, at the recommendation, <laughs> the recommendation Game at gmail.com. You can find our uh, back catalogue on the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud and also on your app of choice. Um, next week, uh, next week's movie is Ricardo's pick. What are you picking? I am picking uh, I Am Not Your Negro. Uh, Excellent. About James Baldwin, yeah. Like, uh, I think it's Roel Peck that directed it. But yeah, hmm. that's the next week's pick. Until then, I was Orla McNeiness. I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks' time. <laughs>